Today we're studying in the book of Romans. And do you remember when the Apostle Paul started the letter in Romans? He uh, started it with a verse that I know you're familiar with. It's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then for the Gentile. In those words, you have the theme of the entire book of Romans. It's, it's amazing. And here in chapter 4, Paul presents Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish people as a test case for both the Jews and the Gentiles uh, to, to prove a term, which is the title of this message this morning, justification. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Here we go. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? Paul asked that question. And he goes on to say, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So I'm talking about justification today. And you may not really understand the word justification or what it means. And remember that Paul, he was writing in the Greek language. So to get a better understanding of the word justification, we need to look at the Greek word that Paul used. And so when Paul says, what did he, referring to Abraham, discover about being made right with God, that second part of verse 1, he used the Greek word dikaiosis. Can you say that? Dikaiosis. Well, what that means is it's the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to God. It's a God act that's happening here in the word justification. Here's what I like to say about justification. Just as if I never sinned. That's an easy way for you to remember what justification means. Just as if I never sinned. Now, the doctrine of justification, excuse me, that's the foundation that supports all the other benefits uh, of being in Christ, justification. Let me break it down this way in an illustration. Let's say you're going 100 miles an hour down the highway, and the speed limit's 55. You're going 100 miles an hour. You're speeding. Now, listen, you might be in a muscle car. You might be in a convertible uh, but you're going 100 miles an hour, and you're breaking the law. And then all of a sudden, you hear a siren behind you. And you look in your rearview mirror, and sure enough, there's a police car. He wants to pull you over. Now, I remember back in high school, we would be driving around, and we'd have a car full of friends, and, and all of a sudden, somebody in the back seat would start humming like a siren. And immediately you start looking in all your mirrors to see if there's a police car behind you and everybody would break out in laughter. But can you imagine you're going 100 miles an hour, you get pulled over, the officer gets out of his unit, walks up to your window, asks for your ID and everything, and he writes you a ticket. You've got to go to court now, and now you're in court, you're standing before a judge, and guess what? You're guilty. He fines you $1,000, because you were speeding, you were going 100 miles an hour. And not only that, you have to go to traffic school. Well, think about this. Find 100, 
or excuse me, $1,000, you've got to go to traffic school. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, someone runs up and says, I'm going to pay the fine. I'm going to take the penalty. I'm going to go to traffic school. And the judge looks at that individual, and they start laying down $100 bills. They pay the fine. They go to traffic school. You're off. You're innocent. That's justification. You are guilty, but someone else has paid your fine, your penalty. And so now you've been made right in the eyes of the law, and it doesn't change the fact that you were speeding. What changes is someone else paid the price for your your sin, for your mistake. And, and see, that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has done that. Justif- justification means that we don't have to work our way to heaven. Now, how does this apply to our faith as Christians? Well, Christianity is not a works-based movement. I, I, I don't even want to call it a religion. And... and it, it, it's our natural resistance. In fact, let me just say it this way. The faiths of the world resist Christianity because Christianity is a gift from God. It's God's Son that the Father has given to us. He's died for us. He's given His life that we may live. It's a free gift. It's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. Jesus did it all. It's a free gift. But yet, there's natural resistance from world religions to to this idea of justification by faith. And every religion, every religion is a works-based agenda. And my definition of religion excludes Christianity because I personally don't believe Christianity is a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's a big difference there. Now, religions have people flying into buildings because of religion. They have wars fought over religion, but Jesus came that you and I could have a personal relationship. And so our salvation does not come by how many doors we knock on. It doesn't come by how many times we uh, pray over beads. It doesn't come by what we eat or don't eat. Salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, first century Jews, they didn't have, I know this is going to surprise you, they didn't have uh, Batman or, or Captain America Uh, First century Jews had Abraham, Father Abraham. And every Jew will point to Abraham as as their hero. He was a moral hero. Uh, He was a societal hero, a cultural hero. Abraham. And Paul really connects here in chapter 4 with the Jewish people by using Abraham as an example. Now, every Jew can trace his family lineage by tribe back to Abraham. Abraham was a source of, uh, like I said, uh, national and cultural pride. And Abraham was the core behind three of our major religions. Of course, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all point to Father Abraham. And so the Jews viewed Abraham 
is a prime example of a man who was saved by works. And so this is what Paul in, in, throughout Romans is contending with when he's debating the rabbis. Because the Jewish people, the rabbis believed that uh, Abraham is an example of somebody that was made righteous because of his works. And they believed that God uh, had accepted and justified Abraham because Abraham earned it by his works and by the law. Well, you're going to see here in a moment that that's not the case. Abraham was righteous due to his faith in God, not his works. I want to give you some evidence right now uh, that you probably have heard about. Maybe it's new to you, but it's evidence that Abraham did not earn his righteousness by works. Er early Jews would, would have the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of what we call our Bible. And so they knew the scriptures. They knew who Abraham was and what he did. And, and in Genesis chapter 15, we see a, a chronicle of a conversation between God and an indi individual named Abram who eventually becomes named Abraham. And uh, he was not yet known as Abraham, but in Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6, I'll read it to you. It says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look, up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone outside when it's just pitch black at night, and you're in an area where there's not a lot of lights, and you just, usually in the mountains or out in the desert, it's like that. You look up and you see the stars, and it's just amazing how many stars there are. And of course, the closer you are to the city, the more lights, it kind of drowns that out. But if you ever get a chance to see a night sky like that, it's beautiful. And God takes Abram out, and he says, look in the sky, all those stars, your descendants are going to be more than the stars that you see. And Abraham believed the Lord, it says in verse 6, and the Lord counted, listen to this, counted him as righteous because of his faith. So God showed Abram what was going to take place, a promise from God. And it says Abram believed God, and God accounted him righteous because of his faith. Now, if we go back further in Genesis to chapter 12. I was just in chapter 15. If we go back to chapter 12, we're going to find something interesting. We'll see how this story really began. It says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Genesis, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Look at verse 3. It says, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now listen to this. He's 75 years old. I don't know how old you are. I don't know if you feel like maybe life has, has passed you by. Uh, you had hopes, you had dreams, you had aspirations, and you haven't seen uh, some, many, or all of it come to fruition. So maybe you've lost some hope. Think about this. Abram's 75 years old. God speaks to him and, and tells him, I would think, in the realm of outlandish things, that uh, he's going to develop a whole nation from a guy who's 75 years old. But yet, 
Abram believes God and he follows the Lord's instruction. Now, I told you I wanted to give you some evidence about this connection between Abraham's faith and his works and how the Jews would say, well, it requires works. Follow the stringent criteria of the law to be acceptable to God. And Paul says, no, no, no. Father Abraham would say differently. So Abram had already left his ancestral homeland in Ur. And that would be uh, modern-day uh, Babylon or in Iraq. And then he, he moved and ended up in Turkey. And at the age of 75, God asked Abram to move further south into Canaan later in chapter 12 to the town of Bethel that's mentioned. And now that's part of the territory of North uh, Jerusalem in the West Bank. And Abram, Abr Abram becomes Abraham and Sarah in their old age. I I'm going to move quickly now because we're studying Romans, not Genesis. But I want you to see the connection here. Abram and Sarah in their old age see the promises come to fruition that God gives them. They have a child. It's a promise fulfilled. They have a son named Isaac. And uh, I, in fact, uh, Isaac then grows up, and there's a whole story about faith in Isaac. Don't have time for that, but Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And so uh, we have Jacob, we have Esau, and uh, then Jacob, in, in chapter 32 of Genesis, he's renamed Israel. Now, here's an interesting point. Abram gets renamed Abraham. He has faith in God, and God gives him a new name. Uh, Jacob follows the Lord, and he's renamed Israel. And it's interesting, when you give your heart to the Lord, God gives you a new name. Now, not technically, but I'm speaking in spiritual terms. When we give our heart to the Lord, God gives us a new beginning, a new life, a new purpose in life. And that's what we see here. Now, Jacob is named Israel, and, and uh, he has 12 sons, and the, they're the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. You see how all this started with Abram, who becomes Abraham? Uh, he has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob becomes Israel. Israel has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and uh, don't lose interest now. Hang with me. Hang on. Back to Abraham's faith. Abraham first believed and he trusted in God to move him to a foreign land. Now think about that. You're 75 years old and all of a sudden you sense from God it's time to move, re relocate, not to the next city, not to the next uh, state, but a whole different country. And Abraham believed and trusted God and that, would be, that he would become the father of many nations. That's amazing. And, and keep in mind, he's an old guy. He's 75 years old. And not to mention, he's to get married to a woman who's barren, who can't have children. And God says, you're going to have children so many, it, more than the stars that you can see in the sky at night. And now here's the smoking gun. We've heard that term a lot in, <laughs> over the last year. Here's the smoking gun. Here's the evidence. Abraham could not possibly be justified, according to the Jews, by the law. Why do I say that? Well, the law of Moses did not exi exist for another 430 years 
after Abraham. So how could Abraham be justified by his righteousness to the law of God when the law, the Ten Commandments, didn't even take place for another 430 years after his life? Look what, it's, look what Paul says in Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child, it says. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, Paul says, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ, Paul says. Verse 17, this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. So this would be... uh, This wouldn't be new news to the Jews. They understood the scriptures, and yet they adhered to this concept that righteousness came by way of adherence to the law. And yet the law wasn't even in place during Abraham's lifetime, and yet Abraham was righteous. Great argument that that Paul presents. And here's uh, another piece of evidence. The next thing that the Jews clung to was the act or ritual of circumcision. And unfortunately, the Jews attempted to debate with Paul. And listen, this custom did not even exist for another 24 years after Abram trusted God and left his home country in Haran. Abraham was 99 years old when the practice of circumcision, this ritual rite that the Jews have, even to this day, uh, began. So it wasn't until he was 99 years old. And and I I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, because we need to read, I'm going to read verses 1, 5, and 10. Listen to what it says, Genesis 17, verses 1, 5, and 10. It says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be, be perfect. I'm reading in the King James because it, it's got a power in this particular kind of an emphasis on what God's saying to Abram. Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. So it wasn't until Abraham was 99 years old, God changes his name. Abram had been walking with the Lord, listening to the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but he was obedient. And God gave him a new name, Abraham. And he's 99 years old. And he developed, God makes a covenant promise with Abraham. And it's solidified through the act of circumcision for every male child among them. So Abraham was righteous to God hundreds of years before the law was even given. He was righteous to God decades before the Jewish ritual or rite of circumcision was instituted. Works had nothing to do with it. The law had nothing to do with it. Abraham believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him as righteousness. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? 
Well, James in the New Testament takes what we are discussing right now, what Paul had said in Romans and what's being said in Genesis, those passages that we read, and James writes in James 2.23, he says, and so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous, not because of his works, James didn't say that, James said because of his faith. Faith is everything. When it comes to a relationship with God and his son, faith in Christ is what is required for you to receive the forgiveness of sins, believing that Jesus of the Bible, the Messiah, receiving the forgiveness he's made available, and the eternal life he's given is a gift. And James says that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. That's what James says. This is, that's acceptance. When, when you're a friend of God, and so let me ask you that question again. Are you a friend with God? Would God view you as a friend? Abraham became God's friend not because he behaved so well. And listen, you can have a practice of reading your Bible three times a day, going to church three times a week, and, and those are all good things. But that's not what's required to enter into God's presence and be accepted by God. It's faith in God. And so, Abraham was a friend or noted as being a friend of God, not because he was well-behaved or because he was a godly man uh, and obeyed God. He became a friend of God because he believed God's promise about the seed. Remember we read in Genesis and then again in Galatians that God had promised a seed to, to a child and it wasn't children of God, but he was talking about Christ. And, and Paul illustrates this beautifully in the next few verses in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. Well, that's just common sense, isn't it? Look at verse 5 of Romans 4. It says, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Have you been counted righteous? Abraham wor worshiped the Lord. He recognized who God was to the point where he was willing to drop everything and move to a foreign land because God directed him to do so. He obeyed God. He became a friend of God. Let me read Romans 4, 5 again. It says, But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Have you been counted as righteous? My illustration about justification, remember at the beginning of my message, I said justification means just as if I never sinned. I want you to tap into that this morning and receive the forgiveness that's available to you that you can receive justification just as if you never sinned. And that happens, my friend, when you give your heart to Jesus Christ. That happens when you open your heart and give your life to the Lord. No matter what you're going through, 
today, this morning, this week, this year. Boy, it's been a year, hasn't it? I want to encourage you to put your focus on Christ. There's so many things out there that are troubling, that are distracting, that bring cause to want to be stressed and filled with anxiety. I want you to know this morning that in Christ, Christ can bring peace, He can bring joy, but you've got to have a relationship with Him. Will you give your heart to Jesus Christ this morning? If you've never done that before, maybe you have, and you're not walking with the Lord the way you should, would you rededicate your life to the Lord this morning? If you'd give your heart to Christ or rededicate your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of, of just that, asking God to save you. So no matter where you're at, pray this prayer with me with all your heart. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the grave. I believe that you're alive and I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. For those of you who are rededicating your life to the Lord, just say that. God, I rededicate my life to you today. Jesus, fill me. Take control of my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Well, listen, if you prayed to receive Christ or rededicate your life to the Lord this morning, you've been justified, just as if you've never sinned. God's covered over your sin by what his son did on the cross. He was the sacrifice needed to pay the sin debt. Jesus paid the price. And so I want to welcome you to the family of God. If you received Christ, if you rededicated your life to the Lord, I want to encourage both of you now, whether you prayed to receive Christ or rededicate your life to the Lord, I want you to text the word pray to the number you see on the screen right now. I want to encourage you. I want to stay connected with you in your newfound faith.